You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So without further ado, let's hit the road. So today is episode number 41 and the day has come. We are climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa, which is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And in the top 10 tallest mountains in the world. I don't know if it's number seven or eight. It's definitely up there. So at the top is 5,895 meters, which is about 19,500 feet. It's pretty high. <laughs> if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you might want to catch that because it just tells you about the ridiculousness and ordeal it was to book this trek. So I was just super happy that we we're finally going, basically. I was supposed to climb with two other Danish guys, but they never showed up, along with the guy I booked it with, Kennedy. So I was with his brother, Dismas, and this Japanese guy who spoke, well, not at all. So I don't know if he spoke English or not. <laughs> so it was just me and the Japanese guys and our two porters. Our guide hadn't even showed up, but we were told to get going. And we've been given our permits the day before, which I'd paid for a six-day trek and really wanted the six days to give you that extra day to climatize. But uh, when he gave me my permit, it only had five days on it, which I was, so I was not happy at all. And I was like, I'm staying for six. I don't care how we work it out, but just let you know. <laughs> he was like, well, yeah, okay. If there's room in the, like, the middle hut, there's three huts you stay at, then, you know, you can stay for six. If not, it's five. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm staying for six. Anyways, <laughs> we left at about quarter after nine in the morning. And like I said, so there's only four of us. We were told our guide was going to meet us up at the, the first hut later on that day. Just the two porters. So they carry your, your main luggage and you just carry a little day bag and your water bottle and camera, of course. So you set off and it's beautiful. Like you go through this pretty thick forested area and it's, you know, very mild ascent. Just absolutely beautiful, you know, walking through Mother Nature and was super excited because uh, I hadn't even really seen Killy yet because the day before it was really cloudy, so you couldn't see it. And of course, now I'm in thick forest, so I couldn't see it either. <laughs> Probably walked about almost three hours. And then you, you finally come up to the first hut, which is called Madura Hut. Clouds kind of finally parted and I could see Kelly and it was just amazing. It's so majestic, absolutely beautiful and a lot more snow on the peak than there is nowadays. So people who say there's no climate change. Yeah, right. Now there's hardly any snow at all. I went in 1993. So this is day 247 of my trip. And we went to Madura Huts. It was great. There was only a couple of other people there. <laughs> and shortly after, there's no one there. It's just me and the Japanese guy <laughs> and the two porters. So the hut's there. There's like a bunch of little huts. And then there's two rooms in each hut. And then there's 
which sleeps four. So there's four bunk beds or like two bunk beds in each of those rooms. So it's eight people to a hut. We had some lunch, which was quite good, a little bit greasy. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to need the calories. Some fried potatoes, fried carrots, fried bread, and some fresh tomatoes and tea. The hut's are pretty basic. It's just the bunk beds in there. And then there's like a little kitchen uh, hut for all the porters to cook food for all the trekkers. And a couple of wooden outhouses, but with uh, portable toilets. You know, even back then, you didn't want to ever leave your garbage behind, you know, on the mountain, of course. So you had to bring everything with you and pick up any waste as well. Now, remember, these are the only, the huts are the only places that had bathrooms. <laughs> so the rest of the time, you copped to squat behind a bush or a rock. <laughs> and again, collected your toilet paper, put it in a plastic bag. And then you just kind of gave your... At the end of the day, you gave your waste to the the porter, and I don't know what they did with them. If they had just a certain bag that all of it went to, they brought it back down, or they burnt it. I'm not sure. And then there was another hut that just had like two really long, big uh, wooden dining tables and chairs in there. So that's where you'd have your meals. The weather, it was perfect. It was lovely. I was just in a t-shirt and shorts, and we just kind of got to chill there for the rest of the day, really. Caught some sun and caught up in my journal which is what my whole podcast is based on. <laughs> like, thankfully, I always kept a journal on all my trips. Took a little walk down to Mandy Crater, which was only about 15, 20 minutes from the huts. And yeah, nice views. See Killy, although it looked so far away. <laughs> I was like, how am I ever going to get there and get to the top? But I was like 100% convinced I was going to do it. And I'm quite stubborn when I want to be. Yeah, just chilled out there for a little bit and then went back to the huts there was two more guys in our in our room, so it's me and the three boys. <laughs> but one of them was this Swiss guy. He was actually a Swiss Alp ski instructor, so he was really fit. And and then this other guy, Niels, who was in his fifties, he was from Denmark. He's Danish, but he'd been living in Mwanza, Tanzania, for two years. He was in the shipping industry, so quite well off, basically. But really nice guy. We hit it off really well. So I just kind of hung out with those two guys for the rest of the day in the evening. And we had dinner, or we given dinner about 5.30, which was actually really good. So it was like rice and carrots, peppers and cabbage, and some roast potatoes, soup and bread, and some tea. Wow, I'm eating more than I usually do. <laughs> I might be rolling down this mountain by the end of it. Mind you, the calories you burn on this trek, you needed it. This group of 18 Swiss people showed up. And it was hilarious because they all wore matching white hats with, you know, those neck protectors. So they looked like tails. I just found it really amusing. And I guess they were kind of on a luxurious track because their dinner was like a feast. They had pasta and chocolates and, oh my gosh, so much stuff. And then after dinner, they brought out a bottle of Johnny Walker and a vodka and some salted peanuts. I was like, can't handle this, man. <laughs> I was a little bit jealous, but then I found out how much they paid for their trek. They paid 3,000 U.S. dollars. I paid 300 U.S. dollars. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, the food's not worth that much. <laughs> and that's the difference is that is food. Everyone sleeps in the same huts and you've got to climb the same mountain up the same trek. So it's just the food. And yeah, I'd much have rather paid a tenth of the price. And then crashed about seven o'clock or so. Although, unfortunately, didn't really sleep that much because Niels was snoring like a warthog. 
And Carl was just letting go the most disgusting farts all night. So I was just literally suffocating. But I guess altitude makes you fart more. I don't know. I didn't know that at the time. It was just brutal. So yeah, between the snoring and the smell, didn't really get a lot of sleep, which was not great, really. So we reckon we walked about five miles that day. Next morning, up at 6.30, had some breakfast. Again, it was pretty good in a lot of it. There was like avocado, oranges, porridge, omelets, some like tomato, cucumber, little salad, a couple slices of toast, and cups of tea. It's like, this is great. <laughs> oh, and our guide, Desmond, he had actually, he'd showed up the day before. So he was there. So at least we had our guide, which was good and really nice guy, along with our porters too. Desmond said, okay, we should get going early so we can get a spot at Thrombo Hut. And also I'd showed him my permit. My permit only said five nights. Explain the situation. He's like, okay, yeah, well, if there's room in, in Thromba Hut, we'll stay there for two nights. If not, it's going to be a five-day trek. And I was just like, whatever, we'll see. <laughs> Still a little bit stressed about it, but, you know, whatever. So he said, well, let's get going early so we can get a spot in the hut. Because it seemed like overbooking was pretty common, happened a lot. Me and the Japanese guy, we packed up and headed off just after eight in the morning. And Niels decided he was going to walk with with me basically right so he kind of joined our little group which was cool but he walked really slow I mean I was 23 at the time and he was like in his 50s so I understood and I kind of walked the same pace with him for quite a while and the Japanese guy he just kind of did his own thing and still hadn't spoken this was meant no offense at all but I had to call him something so <laughs> I just came up with Mitsubishi was <laughs> the first Japanese name that I could come up with. And, you know, he didn't mind at all. And anyway, so like I said, I don't mean any offense at all. I don't know if he understood any English or not, but he never told me his name the whole six days. And he didn't mind Mitsubishi. Anyways, yeah, so this part, it's, it's again, still beautiful. You're still in some forested areas. Start ascending. And after about an hour, left the forest behind in our dust. And it opens right up. And then that was my first real good proper view of Kili. Just blew my mind. It was so beautiful and just majestic. You know, like I said, it's freestanding. So there's not really anything but plain lands around it. So it's just awesome. Although she did look a little bit daunting and cold and very, very far away. <laughs> My motto the whole way was it's a huru or bus. Now a huru peak is the the very peak of Kili, so that's the the goal basically. This is the the Madura route that I did. Times ten percent made it to Huru Peak, and and less than fifty made it to Gilman's Point, because the summit, which is now called Stellar Point, so it's not even called Gilman's Point anymore. So like I said, so this stretch of the walk was through high grasslands, but there was some trees. And then after you get through this bit, then you start gradually ascending at a slightly steeper. And you come across some gorges and you're up and down some smaller hills. So beautiful and it was so peaceful and quiet when Neil shut up. <laughs> Although he, it was great because he um, had a really good camera. So he was taking loads of photos and he took quite a few of me as well, which is great because when you travel on your own, remember, this is the time before selfies, before even mobile phones. So it was nice having kind of my own little photographer for a day or two. <laughs> 
And he promised he was going to, you know, get doubles and, and send me a copy. Took a time and we'd stop quite a few times and drink water. Like you need to drink a lot of water, probably three liters a day. And then at noon, we stopped for lunch. We had some cheese sandwiches and boiled egg, banana, oranges, and Niels gave me some of his tea and a Mars bar. So that was, that was cool. The weather was great, so I was just walking in a t-shirt and shorts and my ridiculously oversized boots, because when I tried to rent my hiking boots the day before, they didn't have any my size. Closest one they had to my size were three sizes too big. Just going to be ridiculous. <laughs> so the guy gave me three pairs of thick socks. He's like, well, just wear those and they'll fit. Kind of what I had to do. Not ideal at all. <laughs> So I highly recommend you bring your own hiking boots with you. And let me tell you, I was already regretting I'd sent my hiking boots back home from Nairobi like months prior. But it was nice to be able to just be walking in t-shirt and shorts. It got a bit colder in the afternoon and because it clouded over. So Niels lent me his Ralph Lauren polo sweatshirt, <laughs> that on. And then just before we got to Thrombo Park... The view is absolutely amazing of Kelly. Probably my best view because you come up this peak and boom, it's right there. Took my breath away. It's so beautiful. We got to Thrombo Park about 2.30 in the afternoon. So we'd walked about six hours that day and covered about 10 miles. And I was feeling pretty good, like physical, mental-wise. So that was good because this is just the beginning. <laughs> and the location where they put the Thrombo huts was just ideal because from one way, it was overlooking the gorge, and then the, the other way, you just have Killy. So it was a beautiful spot. Of course, it would have been even more awesome if I knew that I could stay there the two nights I had planned. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Let's just enjoy this day, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. We got afternoon snacks, so we got some tea and biscuits. Thrombo Hut is at 3,780 meters which is about 12,340 feet. Even at that height, your oxygen is 40% less than on sea level. Already a little bit harder to breathe. This was the highest I'd ever been in my life at this point. So it was really exciting. Although Killy still looked super far away and very tall. <laughs> that night did get colder, probably around zero degrees Celsius. But bless, Niels came through again, and he, I don't know why he had all this stuff. Um, he brought out a spare pair of long johns, like top and bottom. So he gave me those and a, and a pair of thick socks, because I guess three pairs of socks were enough for me. <laughs> and I wore the long johns and pair of socks, and I was actually pretty cozy. And didn't have Carl's farts with me, and Niels didn't snore as bad. So I actually got a really good night's sleep, which was good. However, the next morning, I found out that a lot of people didn't sleep because of, well, either the high altitude or the cold. So I felt quite lucky. And there was also another lady in our hut. So there's me, Mitsubishi, and Niels. And this other lady, who was a Canadian, actually, as well. And she was 70 years old. And she was climbing Killy on her own because her husband had asthma. So he was waiting for her and Melindy. Through her life, she'd done loads of trekking, like in the Alps and Andes and the Rocky Mountains in Canada and the Himalayas. Yeah, she was fit and rare to go. <laughs> she felt great, she said. And I just remember thinking, wow, I hope I'm like you when I'm, you know, 70 as well. Chatted over breakfast and I found out that she had paid $1,250 to do a five day trek. Remember, I paid $300. <laughs> and her fee was pretty similar to mine, I have to say. And then also that her and her husband were spending three months in Africa. Out of those three months, two months was just camping. And they spent 28000 Canadian. 
in three months. I was like, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? And like I said, most of that was camping. Was it staying in luxury places? Assuming there were luxury camping grounds. I think my whole trip, 16 months, including Europe, I might have spent 5,000 Canadian maybe. So I am the budget queen, let me tell you. <laughs> Breakfast that morning was papaya, porridge, omelet, tomatoes, cucumber, toast, and tea. Again, very substantial. This was like my extra day. So I said I went for the sixth day. So this was the sixth day. Two, after breakfast, we walked to Mawenzi. So it's a different part of the mountain. Kili is huge. And that's the reason why I wanted the sixth day, because you get that this extra day to help acclimatize yourself. Because like I said, you're at you know, over 12,000 feet. And Mwanzi was about the same height as Kibo Hut, which are the last huts you stay at before you, you make the ascent up the summit. Spent about six hours, just taking our time, the stops. And this area as well is known as the High Plains. It's really sandy and rocky and rolling hills with lots of this very unique vegetation. Pretty cool. It all, it felt a little bit surreal, like you're on a different planet in a way, because I just hadn't seen any of this kind of vegetation, except maybe the Ruinzori Mountains in Rwanda, Zaire. That was quite similar. And the weather was still good. I was still in just a t-shirt and shorts. So happy days. Spent about six hours walking to Mwenze. And, and then when you get there, that's at 4,550 meters. So we had gone up about 800 meters. And once we got there, you could see the trail to go up to Kibo Hut and then the actual ascent up Kili. Whoa. <laughs> Looked pretty steep from where I was standing, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, please let me have the strength to do this, because <laughs> I really want to make it. It started getting cooler, and I put um, my, my new polo sweatshirt back on. <laughs> and then we decided back to Thrombo Huts fairly quickly, so it only took us about an hour and a half to get back to the huts. We got back to the huts about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we left at 8 in the morning, so yeah, another 7 hours of walking. Uh, I think we covered another 15 miles. So once we got back to Thrombo Hut, we had some lunch, which is just rice and veg, and discovered that I had a new roommate. It was Andy. <laughs> they were on their way down. I had met Andy, Deb, and Carol in Arusha a few days before, and I was actually going to hike Kelly with them, but I, don't know, I just got all crazy and we kind of did our own separate things. But yeah, so they were there, which was really cool. So we went and found Deb and Carol. Andy and Deb said they literally had to crawl <laughs> the last hundred meters to get to Stellar Point. So they didn't make it to Uhuru because they got really quite bad altitude sickness. They were severe headaches and puking everywhere. So that they made it to Stellar Point is amazing. If you have altitude sickness, severe altitude sickness, because 70% of hikers get some like mild uh, altitude sickness. But if you get it severe, then yeah, you have to descend as quickly as possible, basically. But they made it to Gilman, or sorry, it was Gilman's Point when I was there. So Stellar Point. So they're happy about that. And surprisingly, Carol had made it to Huru Peaks. She was pumped about that. She's like, yeah, you definitely got to do it. It's amazing. But then they left. I was feeling a little bit off. So I kind of skipped dinner. I just had some soup and some bread and, and just went to bed early because I was getting a bit of a headache and... Yeah, just not feeling great. So I'm thinking, okay, here comes my, you know, bit of altitude sickness. But as soon as I'd gone to bed and laid down, I felt fine. I just drank as much water as I could. And also Claire had given me this, it's called Diamalax, and uh, it's good for altitude sickness. So 
took that and slept really well that night, actually. Woke up the next morning feeling refreshed and super happy because I see, I got my two nights there. (laughs) I knew I would. It was great that that stress was over. So the next day, so it's day 250, yeah, woke up as usual early. So I always like to wake up around sunrise because, you know, the sunrises are amazing. We're on our way to Kibo Hut, which is the last hut where you stay before you, you climb. Because you, you have to leave at 2 in the morning to climb. <laughs> so some super long days. So we took it slow and we took the, it's called the lower slope route up, which was different to the, the walk that we'd done the day before, which is nice. And at the time, this was a part of a newer route. So it was a little bit quicker, but more steep. So the views and the habitat vegetation was quite similar to the day before for quite a bit. So there's like a bit of shrubbery. And then there's like crazy cactus or look like cactuses, like which you don't expect at, you know, 12, 13,000 feet on a mountain. But that's what they look like anyways. And then you come into the desert. <laughs> Again, quite weird. <laughs> but you really felt like you're in a desert because it was really rocky and hardly any vegetation. Very dry, sandy, bizarre. And then all you can see in front of you is the long and windy path <laughs> all the way to Kibo Hut, <laughs> which just felt like it took forever <laughs> to get there. So about halfway through, Niels was a little bit overbearing. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a break from him. So I kind of fell back uh, from everyone else and let them walk ahead of me. And I just walked to the rest of uh, the way by myself, which was really nice because I do like my own space. And I'm just taking in the nature. Like, it's so beautiful. It was amazing. And then just seeing Killy, it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And that morning, the weather was still great. So I was still in t-shirt and shorts, which is pretty remarkable at that height. But then a little bit later on, the clouds came in, the wind picked up, and it dropped in temperature. So I put Neil's sweatshirt back on. I pulled out, like, I had some kind of, like, wind pants that I'd rented. So I pulled those out. But it was still pretty cold. And then when we stopped for lunch, like I caught up with everyone else and there was this Texan couple there, which were really nice. They lent me a windbreaker jacket and then Niels pulled out like a linen napkin. <laughs> I think, why are you traveling with a linen napkin? <laughs> like climbing up a mountain. Anyway, so he gave that to me to wear as kind of like a, a neckerchief, I guess, or like a scarf, which did help actually. <laughs> so I was grateful. I remember, like, I was so dirty. Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, there's no washing there. That's for sure. And then the next thing you know, it started hailing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Gray sky, cloudy. Hail. I mean, it didn't help for very long, thankfully. You know, nowhere to get out of the hail. But, yeah, I'm like, this is not good. Because, like I said, we're starting the ascent tonight at 2 in the mornings. We've had awesome weather the whole way through. So I was just praying that this would clear up pretty quickly. Finally got to Kibo Hut at about three o'clock and I walked with the Texans because they were super nice, Charlotte and Steve. And we're now at 4,700 meters. Kibo Hut was a bit different than Thrombo and uh, Marunda. So it's just kind of one big hut that has six rooms in it with five bunk beds in each room. So 60 people all together. I think there was like a little dining area as well. There was a little kitchen because each of the huts obviously have to have kitchens for the porters to cook for the trekkers, right? I managed to score a bunk, which was great. And I was still feeling pretty good, you know, obviously tired because we just walked another 15 miles, you know, nervously excited about the ascent. And then we had some popcorn and some tea for our snack. And then I just wanted to, to sleep as much as possible. So I went and had a nap or try to have a nap but of course seven Germans were there in my room and just 
for talking super loudly. And then they had their dinner in the room. <laughs> so I didn't really get uh, any nap time. But at least I got to lie horizontal and get those damn boots off, which is always good to get those suckers off because my feet were starting to hurt. Then we got to have dinner, which is a nice hearty stew and some bread. And then 5.30, I went to bed. <laughs> and I did. I managed to sleep from 6 till 11, which was amazing because apparently no one else slept. And there's about 60 people. <laughs> yeah, I felt very fortunate because it was quite hard to sleep because your heart is palpitating pretty fast. And it's hard to breathe because the air's so thin. But I just zonked right out, which is incredible since I'm not a good sleeper <laughs> the best of times. But poor Charlotte and Steve, they had to sleep on tables in the kitchen bed. <laughs> Because the bucks were all full. And no, that was nothing to do with me. <laughs> like I said, they tend to be overbooked a lot. We all got woken up at midnight uh, with some tea and biscuits. And then we all had to get dressed. Oh my gosh. I literally put on everything I had, basically. Plus a lot of Niels' stuff. <laughs> so I put Claire's t-shirt on first for good luck. Because that was my friend who I traveled with for two months. And she had climbed Killy and she'd give me a t-shirt because she was going back to England. And two chocolate bars for the climb. I had had one earlier that day, but I, had, I saved one for the peak. And then I put on Niels's long johns, top and bottom, another t-shirt, and then a fleece. And then Niels had a thick wool button-down shirt, his sweatshirt, <laughs> my big rented ski jacket, his linen napkin around my throat, because <laughs> it seemed to work. And then I bought some like thin cotton trousers from Dahab, Egypt. So I put those over my long johns and then my jeans on and then my ski pants on. Four pairs of socks, my boots, mittens and my baseball hat. And I was all set. <laughs> I could barely move. <laughs> I felt like the Michelin man. It was ridiculous. I'm like, how am I so sick in this mountain that I could barely move? But it was a huru or bust. Sadly, you're going to have to wait till next episode to hear the rest of my trek. And did I make it to Hoover Peak or not? Sorry about that. Would have just been a far too long of an episode for one. So I do apologize. I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger, literally. <laughs> so make sure you tune in till next Thursday's episode to hear the rest. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. I will spread out the tips for Killy this episode and next episode. So tip number one is bring Diamox, which is the altitude sickness medication. Besides that one day, just for an hour or two, uh, I felt great. And I was the only one that slept in the Kibo hut, which is amazing. Tip number two, bring no more than 15 kg of stuff with you. And you will break those up into your day bag, which you carry. Pretty much just your camera, water bottle, some snacks. Oh, maybe some layers because the weather changes pretty quick. And obviously, definitely bring your own hiking boots and clothes. <laughs> Especially if you're only going there to Kilimanjaro and just there for a couple of weeks. You know, I was on a very long trip, so not possible for me. Bring layers, fleeces, ski jackets. I mean, whatever you don't have, you're still able to rent from Kilimanjaro headquarters or the tour company you go with. You need a Tanzanian visa which you can usually, most countries you can get on arrival. And it's 100 US dollars for your visa for Americans and for most other countries, about 50 US dollars. 
there is a Kilimanjaro airport, which is about 40 kilometers from Mashi, which is the closest town near Kili, or I think about 50 kilometers from Arusha. Uh, you know, I'm not about the flying, but then it's a few hours from Nairobi if you're to drive. I can't remember which tip I'm on. So tip number two, we'll call it. <laughs> the best time to climb Kili is between mid-December to mid-March and mid-June to mid-October. And like I said, it was kind of near the end of September when I climbed it. You have to be moderately fit. And there's no, you know, you don't need any technical skills like climbing stills. It is just walking pretty much for the summit. <laughs> You'll hear about that next week. There's a little bit of clambering over boulders. Most people say, including myself, it was the hardest thing they've ever done in their lives, but definitely worth it. Tanzania doesn't allow you to bring plastic bags into the country, which is amazing. So bring biodegradable bags for your human waste. So they're kind of just like doggy poo bags. <laughs> for humans you're not going to be washing <laughs> the trek i did the the miranda trek is the only one that has accommodation like huts the rest is camping the tour guides will bring a portable toilet tent <laughs> like there's toilet in the tent so you have that otherwise yeah you'll be you know peeing or pooing behind bushes or rocks the bushes thin out near the top so squatting behind a rock <laughs> Get used to it. Drink about three three liters of water a day easily. Be aware of that. Tip for solo female travelers. If you're not into, you know, squatting so much, you can get these like weeshies. So it basically kind of like your own portable penis, I guess, in a way. It just attaches and you can pee standing up. So look into that if you don't like squatting. They're called weeshies. And also altitude can screw around with your periods. So be prepared. So I would suggest probably bringing pads would probably be the best bet. And again, you need your biodegradable bags for those as well. So yeah, it can bring your period on early. It can stop it. It's altitude is crazy. Okay, well, I think that is a wrap for this week's episode. So we'll see you next Thursday to finish off the track. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a step along the way. And you can always leave your reviews on Apple. That would be awesome. So until then, safe travels one road at a time.